The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Acts 1, 1 to 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. If you want to open up your Bibles, or if you've already got your Bibles, open to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be spending our time this morning mostly in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, that's where we're going to be spending our whole, basically our whole time. However, I wanted you to hear that whole passage read out so you could see that in context. Um, we've just, well, today we're finishing a five-week series called The Road to Jerusalem, or The Way to the Cross, sorry. And um, the idea behind this series, it's been our Easter series, we've been looking at the final few weeks of Jesus' life as he heads towards Jerusalem, and then uh, today, uh, looking at Acts chapter 1 verse 8, is kind of a bit of a postscript to that series, Knowing a few months ago that today was going to be our Compassion Sunday and knowing that we would just come, been coming out of Easter, uh, I thought what a great opportunity for us to actually look at this amazing passage, this incredible verse where Jesus sends his disciples with the power of the Holy Spirit to go into the world and to be his witnesses in the world, to, to teach the people, to teach the world who Jesus is. Uh, a few weeks ago when we were kind of the beginning of the series, Sam Wright, who was our guest speaker, he was talking about this lead up towards the cross, lead up towards uh, Jesus dying on the cross. And he made this comment, he said that, that uh, really what we're seeing is this, uh, this build up in Luke's gospel, to, and it's really asking the question, what's going to happen in Jerusalem? That was the big question. If you're reading through Luke for the first time and you've never heard of Jesus and you're reading that, this question will start coming into your mind. What's going to happen in Jerusalem? And what happened in Jerusalem was that Jesus was crucified and then last week on Sunday we celebrated his resurrection that he came back from life. He triumphed over death. Jesus killed death on Resurrection Sunday. And then today really depicts that what happened in Jerusalem didn't stay in Jerusalem. We could sum up the storyline of Acts, and there's probably going to want be a coming come a day, I'd, I'd hope in the next couple of years, where we walk through the book of Acts as a church. I'd love to do that. But we could sum up the storyline of Acts with his command, go everywhere, tell everyone. 
That's really a summary of the book of Acts. And today really is about mission and evangelism and this idea that we are not just called to receive the salvation and go, that's great for me, I'm going to take this for me and keep this to myself. But actually, Jesus calls his disciples to be missionaries into the world. And so really excited to be able to preach on this today on our Compassion Sunday. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is really one of the most important verses in our arsenal for understanding what Jesus does in sending his people, his missionaries, into the world. What does your heart do when you hear the word evangelism or mission? Does your heart swell with eagerness, like, yes, I can't wait to do that? Or does it sink with shame? Does it sink with, does it, does it, get, does it clatter over with, Embarrassment. Oh, I've really not done a very good job of that. I've shared this story before, but I remember very distinctly in my early teens, uh, sitting in the back of my mum's car on the way to school, praying fervently, Lord, I will do anything for you. Just don't send me to Africa. Just don't send me overseas to a, to a, a third world country. Don't send me, like, don't take me out of my comfort zone. God, I'll do anything for you. Just let me stay where I am. I was talking with Margaret just the other day, and she was telling me of a book that she saw on missions, and it was called, correct me if I'm wrong, Margaret, called something like, please, Lord, send my sister. Like, God, I, I, this is a, I agree with missions. I think this is a really great idea. I think, I, I think someone should do this. Just not me. Send my sister. And maybe that's how you feel about being a missionary, whether it's overseas and you're doing some kind of uh, missional work overseas or being a missionary in the street that you live in, being a missionary in the place that you work, in the cafe that you go to. Maybe you feel that way about being in the classroom that you're in or being a part of the club that you're part of. Maybe the idea of evangelism in that sense hangs over your head like a dark cloud and you feel guilt over past cowardice or shame over inadequacy or fear over what might be risked by doing this. And if that's you, if your heart sinks in that, that, don't fret. You're in good company. In fact, I think you'd find yourself right at home with these disciples who heard Jesus say those words on that day. If that's you, I'd like you for a moment to pause and think about yourself in 12 months' time without this hanging over your head like this. Like imagine if in 12 months' time, if the week after Easter Sunday next year, 2023, you could say, hey, yeah, I have actually had an attempt at sharing the gospel with somebody who doesn't know it. And I've lived a missional lifestyle. I've lived determined to bring the witness of the, of the gospel to other people. And what will it take to get there? From, from where you are today to in 12 months' time, what will it take to get there? And I ask this, I say this because I'm convinced that this passage, Acts 1, 1 to 11, and really verses 7 and 8, which we're going to focus on, it's not there to make us feel guilty 
or to, to make us feel ashamed or to, to fill us with fear. Rather, it's there to fill us with hope because God has sent his spirit to remedy that guilt, to remedy that shame, to remove that fear. And he has sent the Holy Spirit to empower us to do the very thing that we are called to do and powerless to do without him. And Acts 1.8 does this by presenting the gospel, presenting the call to the mission of God, not as a burden for us, but as a burden lifter. And it does this in three ways. And these are my three points for today. Firstly, the mission that we're given is a mission that is older than us. Secondly, it is a mission that is bigger than us. And thirdly, it is a mission that involves us, but also not primarily us. And I hope you take my meaning when we get there. And my hope and prayer this morning is that the more we understand this, the more explosive and eager we're going to be in the mission that God has called us to do. So point number one, this mission is older than us. I want to firstly focus on the second half of verse 8. Jesus says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, it's only been the last few years that the gravity of that line, the weight of that line has truly settled on my heart. And it actually uh, became increasingly clear to me through the study of the book of Joshua, of all places. You see, on the one hand, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth, they represent, these places represent uh, concentric circles leading out from Jerusalem, kind of like ripples in a pond, and the gospel going outwards. And you can deduce from this that what Jesus has in mind here is that this mission is not only to be done overseas, but also at home and everywhere in between. If you're a Christian, then you are a missionary to the street that you live in, and for some of you, to the household that you live in. You're a missionary to the place that you work at and the school that you study at. You're a missionary to the cafe that you go to. You're a missionary uh, at Coles. You're a missionary when you go into those schools to teach RI. You're a missionary in the various other groups you're part of, if you're part of Red Frogs. You're a missionary when you go to that back table over there and you pick up one of those uh, photos of one of those children. We're acting out the mission of God. This is what God calls us to do. And that's one very important point to, to draw from this. That missions isn't, like we, we shouldn't think of missions as overseas only, but actually at home and everything in between. That's one important point. But there's another that I think this, this, that comes with this verse. And that's the significance of this verse in light of the storyline of the Bible. You see, when you study the book of Joshua, or at least this is what happened for me when I was studying the book of Joshua a number of years ago when we were preparing a series for this, you can't help but feel the sense of the importance of the land to the people of Israel. The land was promised to Abraham. It's the promised land. The land was the land that, that Jacob actually left with his family to go to Egypt. And the land was the place that Moses led the people towards, at least, after they came out of slavery in Egypt. The land is the place. This land of Israel is the place that Joshua and, and the armies fought to gain. Uh, it is also the land that David fought to keep. The, the land also was something that the, the successive kings after him, they failed to hold on to because of unholiness. Uh, it was the land that they were exiled from. And then after exile, it was this land, this land of Israel that they came back to. The land is where they live now in this story, in this part of, the, the part of history. 
and the land is currently occupied by the Romans, by the Roman government. The land is incredibly important. You can't get away from the geographical significance of this part of Scripture. It was all about coming to the land. It was all about staying in the land. It was all about keeping the land. And then you get to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and Jesus says, it's time to leave the land. That's massive. Acts 1.8 is a monumental change in the story, monumental, sorry, shift in the storyline of Scripture. It's not that the land is now unimportant. It's that the land is now a heck of a lot bigger. It's not just about Israel. It actually, there's no geographical boundaries for the kingdom of God. God is saying, go everywhere, tell everyone. It's for the whole world. And that's not a departure from what God was doing. It's not like he got to the Gospels and then Jesus came and God said, you know, we tried this whole Israel thing, let's, let's give it up. Let's just go to the rest of the world, see how they feel about it. It's actually, just the, it's actually the fulfillment of what God promised to the patriarch Abraham, that all the world would be blessed by his offspring. This is not a change, it's just the next stage. You see, this mission that Jesus was sending his disciples on was older than them. And that's older than us as well. God was on mission to Caloundra well and truly before we planted this church here. Well and truly before, and if I can say this, well and truly before Dorothy started living here and Margaret started living here. And it's going to be well and, there well and truly after we're all gone. God's mission is older than us. It doesn't pivot on us. It's not actually on us. It's not about us. It's much older than us. And when we feel hesitant about leaving our comfort zones and leaving what we know, consider that that's exactly how these disciples would have felt when they heard these words for the first time. When they heard Jerusalem, yes, sure, sounds great. Judea, sure, that makes sense. That's where Jerusalem is. Samaria, what? Ends of the earth? <laughs> what? This is God's people now leaving their comforts and leaving what they, would have, what they thought this was all about and going to do something that was much bigger than them. And this is our second point. This, that should lighten our loads is that this mission is actually bigger than us. And this point is very similar to the first one, but it's slightly different. And it begins with, Jesus, with the, the, the disciples' question to Jesus in verse 6. They asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And then Jesus' answer in verse 7 is, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. You see, the point here is that his disciples were still really focused on the kingdom of Israel as a nationalistic kind of thing. Jesus had been talking to them uh, since the beginning of his ministry about the kingdom of God, and even in Acts, he's still talking to them about the kingdom of God. But they can't shake the idea that the nation of Israel was still central to that. They had this idea that Jesus was going to come and he was going to boot the Romans out of Jerusalem and then Jesus, Jesus would sit on the throne of David. But that's not at all what Jesus was talking about. And it was something that Jesus had to correct and adjust for his disciples on multiple occasions throughout his ministry, but they struggled to shake it. 
You see, the problem for them was that their agenda was far more important to them than God's was to them. Even though they were following Jesus, they still had their own agenda for what Jesus was meant to be doing for them. But God's mission is much bigger than them and their small plans. And God's mission is much bigger than us and our puny plans. We have these plans, don't we? Plans for how we want our lives to turn out. And the problem comes when we think that God's role in our lives is to bring about our plan and our agenda. Like, that's who God is. Like, I've got this really great idea of what I want my life to turn out like, and I'm really excited about the idea of God because now there's someone powerful who can get me what I want. Now, there's nothing actually wrong with making plans, but have you considered that what God has got planned for you is bigger than what you've got planned for yourself? Have you considered how your plans, whatever this look, that looks like for your life, have you considered how that might fit into what God has got planned for his kingdom? In the plans that we make for our lives, whether it's the places that we live or the cars that we drive or the kinds of jobs that we have, the, the careers that we pursue, the friends that we have, have we stopped to ask, where does God want me? What does God want me to be doing with my life and my time and, and my stuff right now? You see, a Christian doesn't just buy a house in a place that suits them or move to a place that suits them. A Christian says, hey, God, where do you want me? And how can I be serving your kingdom in this place? A Christian isn't just someone who buys the car of their dreams. A Christian is someone who buys a car thinking, how can I serve the kingdom with this? How can I be a blessing? How can I help God's mission with this? And actually, when we submit our plans and our agendas to God's plans and agendas, we won't be disappointed. We'll experience the joy of obedience to God. And the pressure that is on us to make something of our lives suddenly, suddenly comes off us because we come to realize God has made the most of us in Christ, more than anything we can do. And we are now free to obey him. The point is that if mission and evangelism makes you nervous because it doesn't fit into what you've got planned for your life, then you need to hear what the, re the rest of what Jesus has to say, actually, in the rest of his answer. That's what the disciples needed to hear. And this is, brings us to the next point, or the third point, is that this mission involves us, but not primarily us. Or we could say it includes us despite us. And I get that from the first part of verse 8, where Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, Jesus has already said in verse 4 that they weren't to, re to leave Jerusalem until they had received the gift from the, Father, from the Father's promise, which was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then here, the power they received from the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and that, that that, uh, they're told not to, leave until, not to leave and do the mission until they receive that. Essentially, we shouldn't embark on the mission that God has called us to without the power given to us by the Holy Spirit. Now, what exactly does that mean, the power given to us by the Holy Spirit? 
Well, that word there that is used for power is the Greek word dunamis, which is where Alfred Noble, who invented dynamite, that's where he got the word dynamite from. It's explosive energy, explosive potential energy for functioning in a particular way. It's like, it's like the fuel in the car. Like You can't drive the car without fuel in it, and you shouldn't try. It means doing the mission not in our own strength and wisdom, but utilizing every aspect of God's power, and that is explosive. That is explosive, the explosive power of God. And from what we learn as we read through Acts, I think this means at least two things. I don't think there is more to it than this, but there's at least two things. Firstly, it's the explosive power of the Holy Spirit to carry the message of the gospel into the ears of unbelievers with such authority and influence that an unbelieving person is made alive and believes it to be true. It's power for the witness. The reality is that no one can ever convince another person to change the heart and become a Christian. No, I can't convince you to become a believer. That is a work that is solely done by the power of the Holy Spirit as he carries the gospel, the good news of Jesus, through our ears and into our hearts and convinces us of its truth. This is what happens for Peter in his sermon at Pentecost when he receives the gift of the Spirit, when he receives the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon him and he gets up and he preaches to a huge crowd and the essence of Peter's sermon is Jesus is Lord and Messiah and 3,000 people were saved that day. Now, if if Peter had gotten up in front of that crowd the day before and said the exact same words, not a single person would have been saved. It's the power of of the Holy Spirit to convince an unbeliever that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And that lightens our burdens, right? Like, there's no pressure on us to be particularly convincing of it. It's helpful, it's good. But if you're right now feeling like, I just don't know how to do it, that's fine. Because it's actually not you who does the convincing. It's the Holy Spirit who does that work. Secondly, I think we could say that, it's a, that the power of the Holy Spirit is a strange and new confidence, not only in God's call on us, but also in what Jesus has done for us. The Holy Spirit comes upon us in explosive power, and we become so convinced of God's goodness, so sure of our right standing before Him, so certain in His power and in His sovereignty, so persuaded that His plans are better than ours, so swayed by His unending love for us, and so positive that the gospel really is good news, that it outshines any fear or any trepidation that we might have, and we become bulletproof carefree and emboldened to share the gospel with others. One of my favorite illustrations of this comes, I think it comes from Martin Lloyd-Jones, and if it's not, Michael can correct me, he's our resident Martin Lloyd-Jones expert. Um, He shares the story of the power of the Holy Spirit as he comes upon upon us. Uh, It's just an illustration. A father and his son are walking down a lane holding hands, and all of a sudden, the father scoops up his boy and throws him into the air and cuddles him and, and nuzzles him and just, just, just grabs him and tickles him a bit and just holds him close and squeezes him tight and says, I love you. I'm so glad you're mine. And then he puts his son down and holds his hand and they continue walking. 
Now the son in that moment is no more a son than he was a few moments earlier, but he is suddenly far more convinced of his father's love for him. He's suddenly far more sure of his father's un, uh, unbelievable, unending, unmerited love for him. And that's what the Holy Spirit does when he comes upon us, that we go, oh, wow. What Jesus says about me is actually true. God really does actually love me. And this is, again, what we see in Peter, who was so afraid of what people thought of him just a few weeks earlier that a young girl, on the night of Jesus' Jesus' crucifixion, a young girl silenced him about the truth of Jesus. And even on the day of Pentecost, they were still locked up in that closed room. But when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he stopped caring what people thought of him or what would happen to him, and he gladly obeyed Jesus and became a witness for the goodness of the gospel. So a question we might have then is, well, if I'm not experiencing that boldness to share the gospel with others right now, what should I do? Well, might I suggest that if we are wanting the Holy Spirit to come upon us and to give us new confidence in the truth of God's love and for the the goodness of the gospel, there are some things that we could be, be doing for that, at least to prepare our hearts for that, if that's not happening already. Imagine these things like logs in a bonfire and the Spirit comes and he ignites them. Firstly, be in God's word. If we don't know God as he has revealed himself in his word, we can't expect to be all that excited about God, about who God is. Like if, like just say this bluntly and plainly, if we're not in God's word, we can't expect to be excited about him. Like if you're feeling dead, bland, stale in your faith at the moment, and you're not in God's word, I just simply want to draw a line between those two things and say those things are connected. Secondly, be in prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit to make you more confident in the gospel, more confident in God's love for us. This is what Peter and the disciples were doing that day. They were in prayer, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. If you're feeling like there's not like a real solid, strong enthusiasm for God's word or to share the gospel with others, ask God for it. Be in prayer. Devote time in prayer. And then third thing we can do, and there's other things, but we can be building our life around the truth of the gospel. That means letting the truth of God's unending love for us and his death and resurrection for us that, that makes us righteous, that, 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 that creates peace with God, let that thing, let, let, let that news, let that truth be more shaping in you, in your identity, than anything else. More than the job you have, more than your kids, more than your marital status, more than the amount of money in your bank account, more than the places that you've traveled, more than your hobbies, more than your hair color or your height, more than your interests or anything like that, more than what the world says about you or more than what you say about you. Let what God says about you, that you are righteous when you are in Christ and that can never be taken away from you. Let that be the truest thing about you. You see, it really is good news for the world and it really is worth sharing with those around us regardless of the cost. 
Consider that the holy God of the universe loves you and I so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to eliminate the very thing that separated us from him. And he, he did that at the cost of his own life. And not only did Jesus eliminate sin and its consequences for us, but he did so in such a perfect and bulletproof way that it can never be taken away from us. It comes to us as a gift by no merit of our own, and we are promised, we are given eternal life. And so as we finish, can I ask this question? Who in your life needs to hear that? Who in your life who you're going to see today or tomorrow needs to hear of God's unending, unmerited, unmerited, unconditional love? Who in your life needs to be released from the bondage of sin? Who in your life needs to hear about Jesus? And what does it look like for you to begin doing something about that? Like if you're in your mind, what you've got to do is I've got to go in and read, read at least three or four apologetics books and really study my word more and get all these things I've got to do. There's like a hundred first steps before I can even go and start to do that. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm saying, what can you start doing today for the person who doesn't yet know Jesus? And it might just be as simple as identifying them. That person. Naming them. <laughs> Jake, Henry, Sally, Kate, whoever it is. Or maybe you've already identified them, but maybe the next step is to start praying for them. Pray that God would save their soul and that you would be given an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And, and pray, pray for them. Pray for their health. Pray for their own prosperity. Start praying for the things that you know are going on in their lives. And the more you start praying for them, the, the more you, you're going to care for them. That's what happens when you start praying for somebody. You just start to care about them. And you start to care what actually happens in their lives. You start to care what's going on in their lives. You start to realize what, what do they need. You start to think through what is the best thing for them. You start to realize, oh, the best thing for them is Jesus. Now, how can I be a part of that? Maybe it's going the extra mile and just loving them a bit more caring for them a bit more, helping them out a little bit more. Maybe it's sticking your head over the fence and saying good morning. Maybe it's bringing their bins in for them, helping them out in some way. Or maybe it's plucking up the courage, trusting God and just going for it and just seeing what happens. We are called to be witnesses everywhere we go home, overseas. This is why I'm so excited about this partnership with Compassion because it gives us something to sink our teeth into and help us to understand, wow, this is actually something that God has called us to do. And it gives us such an incredible opportunity to, to bless and encourage and, and to take care of people in poverty and people who need that. We are called as Disciples, if you're a disciple, you're also a witness. You're also a missionary. You are also an evangelist. And some people have the gift of evangelism. I've got friends who they would start talking to somebody and within about a minute and a half, they started talking about Jesus and they've generally, after about 10 minutes, has led the, have led that person to the Lord. I don't know how they do it. Well, I do know how they do it. It's the Holy Spirit who does it through them. 
But we are all called to do this. We are all called to, to take God's word, take the gospel to those around us who don't know it. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcast free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others. But please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.